I, so many of, well, a number of videos that I looked at, I didn't watch a whole video of any of them. All of them just show the opening screen and all it has is the chrome button in the middle of, at the bottom of the screen. It's like, that's all you need. You don't need any other buttons. And there it is. Mm -hmm. Episode 8. 8 is great. Episode 8 is great. Welcome to TalkBots. 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 BuckBot. Beep boop. <laughs> Buck uh, <laughs> the title of today's episode, I don't know if you'll think this is clever or not. Here it is. Passive aggressive. It'll make sense later. Just remember that. Which part of that is the title? Passive aggressive. Oh, okay. Like, huh, that was just a really long title. Passive aggressive. It'll make sense later. What the <laughs> fuck? Okay. All right. All right. Just a disclaimer. I don't I don't know what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, Adam doesn't have a clue. Well, no. he does. He just doesn't remember. But yeah. what we're talking about this week is... Um, is it the Kissing Cousins one? No. Not oh. this time. Okay. Maybe next time. <laughs> Kissing Cousins. That's actually a topic that I listed uh -huh. for discussion. I think it's important. I don't know if we can stretch it out to an hour and a half. Well, I haven't but, told you all my life story. Okay, there we go. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, what this, what this episode is about is there's a lot of things that we could be doing, uh, you know, just in general, in society. And one of the things that we could, and, and I personally believe should be doing, is why can't we build efficient, energy-efficient homes? And, and I read an analogy about this that I really kind of, I, I like this analogy because it's simple and it, it really gets to the point. You pour hot coffee into a glass mug, it won't stay hot for long. It loses heat very fast mm -hmm. because glass is just not a very good insulator. Mm -hmm. As opposed to if you pour hot coffee into a thermos, even if you leave the top off, it's going to stay hot for a long time because, you know, its walls are very well insulated. And that's a great analogy uh, in describing the kind of homes that we build by default in North America because they're, they're crap. It's insane. And I'm going to try and uh, speak to <laughs> some of the... Uh, techniques and methods that people around the world are uh, using to to try to make better homes so that if anybody listening is wondering gee is there if if i'm looking to get a home built or retrofit the home that i'm living in now uh, how do you make a house more efficient because there's a lot to it there's there's a lot of things you can do <sighs> so <laughs> so, uh, do you have any um, knowledge at all about energy efficient homes? Like, if if oh. somebody were to come up to you off the street and say, "Adam, what what kind of things does a person need to do to make their home more efficient?" What would you th think is the right answer? Well, I know that I don't know, but I, the thing that I would always default to, and I know it from experience of not having it, are windows. Right. Right. Is that my windows leak like a sieve. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's ridiculous. Um, the and you place, know this by standing next to them. Standing next to them or... Touching them. In my bedroom, 
because there is two panes in mm-hmm. it, but there's uh, condensation in between the two panes. Right. Or, um, yeah, like you say, just standing beside it and it's just a waterfall of cold. Mm-hmm. And also just my bill. Right. Right? My energy bill is, like everybody's, ludicrous. Other than other than that, there's, I just, I guess off the top of my head, things like uh, insulation in your attic being uh, adequate uh, or more than adequate. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess light bulbs, different mm-hmm. kinds of light bulbs. Yep. I think there's like weird water systems out there to deal with like gray water. Yep. Or using it to heat your home right. or heat the floor and shit like right. that. Right, right. I don't know enough other than to say exactly that about it. I don't know a lot about it. So, so And that it's fucking expensive. There we go. Right. That's the other one that I right. know is that, that uh, that's the one that pisses me off, mm-hmm. which is why I was interested in this conversation mm-hmm. is because I want to buy windows, but I'm not Justin Timberlake. I can't afford to buy these fucking windows. So I, instead of upfront spending, you know, $12,000, I pay NMAX a huge amount of money every month. Right. Instead. Right. Yeah. So and th- that's, that's what I know. And that's kind of, that's kind of where we are in our society. Um, I think the main reason why North American houses get built to such a low standard is because developers can build them to such a low standard and no one really seems to care, especially not the government. And they're the only people that have the power to say, no, no, builders, this is bullshit. Mm-hmm. You guys need to bring your your game up a bit. And I mean, they've done it with other things. Like, I mean, you cannot buy a new house now that isn't already roughed in for radon remediation. They've already got a tube coming up from under the foundation so that you can install a pump and then finish the plumbing out to the side. In fact, the the plumbing to the side of the house is probably already done. The only thing that's missing is the fan. I had to add that myself after the fact, once I found out that there was radon seeping into our house and how much there was, which fucking blew my mind. But getting way off topic now. So because you mentioned when when I asked you what you thought when I asked you what makes for an efficient home, we are not going to be discussing power efficiency or water efficiency in this episode. Yeah. We are simply going to focus on heat and the ability to retain heat and or keep it out right. in the summer. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to talk a little bit about, very briefly, about what our houses are like versus how they should be if we wanted our homes to be really efficient. Did, did you want to say something? I do want to say okay. something. Because you went you went on a little bit of a, a tangent there about radon. Mm-hmm. Don't stop. Okay. Because I don't know... Enough about it? Like I, like I know that it's a thing. Yes. And... Sometimes I'm told I got to care. Other times I'm told I don't have to care. Oh, okay. And I don't That's know what wrong. the fuck it is. Okay, so here's the deal. And and in a way, I'm kind of glad that you did push me to talk about this a little bit because I don't think enough people uh, in the world really understand just how big of a deal it is. 
Radon is a natural byproduct of the radioactive material that happens to be in our Earth. Yeah. It's just there. It's just that it's not evenly distributed. So you could be, your house could be sitting on a patch of land that has very little radon coming out of the ground, or it could be sitting on a patch of land that has a shit ton of radon coming out of the ground. Okay. Uh, radon gas. Now, the reason it, we don't talk about radon gas outdoors is because it immediately disperses and gets mixed with the air, and there's not enough of it to, to make us sick. But inside the house, radon gas has the ability to seep into your basement through any leak, crack, hole in your foundation, especially the bottom of the foundation, which kind of is a bit in line of what we're talking about because right. we have leaky houses. Right. Okay, so radon is one of the things that seeps in. Uh, never mind the fact that the heat also seeps out. And the problem is in the summertime when you've got a lot of windows open and there's a lot of fresh air replacing the stale, dirty, poisonous, smelly air that's in your house, it's not so bad because the radon gas has somewhere to go out the window, especially if you've got windows open in your basement. Um, and the reason I was able to prove this is because I actually have a radon detector. I bought one because I wanted to see how bad it was here on an ongoing basis. And it turns out that it's much, much better in the summertime, especially when you open your basement windows. In the wintertime, when everything is closed up again, it starts to build. And it, it, it varies. It gets bad, and then it gets not so bad, and then it gets bad, and then it gets not so bad. And the meter uh, gives you a long-term average of what you're, you're getting in your house. And the, based on the number that you get, uh, you are able to determine whether you are getting an unhealthy dose or a dose below what the government considers unhealthy. Okay. I can't remember the exact amount, but I believe it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 200 microbecquerels or whatever. If you were getting under 200, then that's not big of a deal. Uh, the lower, of course, the better. Uh, but anything over 200 uh, is not good because it's uh, uh, it can cause cancer. Okay. Long term. So, you know, like if you're dealing with radon for a couple of years, it's not going to fucking kill you. But if you are prone to cancer, radon could be the thing that triggers it or makes it worse. So when my wife found out about this, we got the kit and we got our house tested and what the average number was. And the average number was higher than 200. So that's when I decided to buy the meter that measures constantly and gives you not just a one-day uh, reading, but a, a long-term average. And um, I, I found out that, yeah, it wasn't a fluke. We had a high uh, amount of radon, uh, between 200 and 300 as a reading. Uh, and that's not good, and we knew it. And I, I also started to notice that I was coughing a lot whenever I was down here. So we uh, hired somebody to install radon remediation, which is... They basically cut a hole in the foundation to, the, to where the ground is and they put a pipe from under there up 
into the basement through a fan that runs 24 hours a day, very efficiently, very quietly too. It's running right now and you won't hear it. And then blows that air outdoors where you can't breathe it anymore. And that relieves most of the radon gas that's collecting under your foundation and sends it outside. And what a difference. Like, whereas I was reading between 200 and 300 um, here, and my neighbor was getting an even higher reading when he started testing. Uh, now that we're remediating, I'm averaging about 70, 75, which is, it's not, it's not perfect, but it's a hell of a lot lower than 200 or 250. Is radon gas uh, more or less dense than the air? Does it mix with all the air in the house? Yeah, and, and I really, you know, it's too bad that I don't know the answer to that question. I would imagine it must be less dense because if it were denser than air, it wouldn't try to seep through the foundation it's, to get into your basement. It would just sit there on the ground, right. but it doesn't. Right. So my guess is it's, it's uh, as light or lighter than air. Do you know what kind of cancer it is? Uh, any kind. Oh, okay. It's essentially a general trigger for, for any kind of cancer. What did it cost to do that remediation? Uh, about about 1500 bucks. A lot, but not yeah. crazy. No, no, definitely affordable, you know, in the sense of, you know, the kind of normal things you have to do over the course of the life of a house. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, that's nice. Just another thing to worry about. That's oh, good. Right? Yeah, wicked. And, and this is why new homes get built with that stuff roughed in by code. Right. So, you know, if we could do that by code... If we could make it so that, you know, our wiring in our houses is safe and won't electrocute you every time you touch something, then governments also have the power to make make it so that our homes are much more efficient than they currently are. Right. So here are all the things that I have discovered over the years that we're doing wrong and what we should be doing uh, in each element of our how we build our houses uh, instead, starting with the walls. Our walls are way too thin. We're typically building our walls out of either 2x4s or 2x6s. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not enough. Typically, it's not enough. Because you can't put enough insulation in a wall that thin to give the R value you need to make of an extraordinarily small amount of heat get out. So that's problem number one. Carl, tell the kids what an R value is. Um, an R value is a measure of how well insulated um, uh, a wall or, or ceiling or, or floor is. The higher the R value, the more insulated it is and the more it prevents heat from escaping or getting through from the outside uh, in the summertime. Don't pay too much attention to the number. It's just the comparison value. Uh, when I'm finished wrapping up all of the things that make for a well-insulated home or a well-built and designed home, um, I'll, I'll tell you the difference it makes from a practical, from an actual point of view as opposed to with numbers. Okay. But a typical wall in a typical house is R12. Okay. They should be R40 at a minimum. So we're not even, they're not even half as good as they could be. 
And how you fix that problem is by making thicker walls. If you ever were to visit a, a green home or a, a, an energy efficient home being built, the first thing you're going to notice is the window sills are super deep because the walls are at least 8 to 12 inches thick. And it may not necessarily even be one wall. Some homes, they kind of cheat in an effort to save a little bit of material by making a two by four wall that's filled with nothing but insulation on the outside, followed by an air gap, which acts as a form of insulation, followed by an interior two by four wall that contains all of the wiring and the plumbing and the switches and the outlets and, 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 and it's filled with insulation too, but it doesn't matter that we're cutting holes in that wall to fit switches and wires and, and outlets and stuff because that's not the wall that's holding out the cold or keeping in the heat. It's the combination of those three things put together and the thickness of it all that gives you that, um, that insulation value that makes it so that when you touch the wall, you don't feel cold. You feel the warmth of the house. So that's the first thing that people do. And there's so many things, so many uh, techniques. There were too many to mention them all, um, but it all has to do with either the, thick, the overall thickness of the wall and or the materials that are used. The other problem with our walls and our ceilings and our floors and our windows is not, not even that they're not insulated enough, it's that they're letting too much air leak through them. Right, they're not sealed. No, yeah. not at all. Yeah. Um, and in fact, when, when a person is getting an energy-efficient home built, the very last thing they do to prove that they did everything right is they, you know, they close all the windows and they put a big-ass special door with a fan in the middle of it at your front door and they start measuring how much air is actually getting out of the house. They pressurize it to a certain level and they look to see whether the house is leaking. And it shouldn't. It shouldn't leak at all. Um, but that's impossible to get. So what they look for is they look for a, an amount of leakage that is barely a tenth of what we actually live with. So walls... They're not thick enough, and therefore they're not insulated enough. Our houses are basically like a fucking sieve with cracks and leaks and holes all over the goddamn place. Uh, our windows are crap, essentially. Builder-grade windows are just two-pane windows with nothing in between them to stop the heat from getting out or in in the summer. Um, or let the sun, the UV rays from the sun, get in either. Um, and that's why our uh, south-facing rooms get so freaking hot in the summer and get so cold in the winter. Um, they should be at, at least triple pane, and the, the gaps between the panes should be filled with a, a gas like argon or krypton that acts as an insulator and right. turns the R value or increases the R value of the window. The, the window frames are at fault because they leak uh, the roof, our roofs should be R, uh, R80. They're not. They're at best R40. 
our basement floors should be R16 at a minimum, and they're not. They're like fucking R0, or as close to R0 as you can get, which is why when you walk on a concrete floor in the wintertime, your feet start to freeze because it's literally sucking the heat right out of your body. Right. Um, and, you know, we try to overcome that by covering the floor with stuff and putting fireplaces yeah. on and shit like that. And it works. It helps keep the basement warm. But that heat is is just going right through right. the concrete into the ground. You're just pissing out heat. Basement walls should be R36 uh, instead of, um, which is almost as warm as a regular wall, instead of R8, which is what they are now. And the, re and the only reason your, your basement walls are R8 is because even though they're made of concrete, they'll still put framing and some insulation on top of the concrete. But it's like putting con it's like putting insulation over a block of ice. Right. Yeah, you're not going to be as cold as you were if there wasn't any insulation. But you still it's negligible. You still have a wall built of ice. Right. So what's the alternative? So you say the floor is zero. Yeah. Well, the basement walls are eight, and yes. that is because of the concrete. Yes. What's the alternative? The alternative material? is um, make layers that include insulating foam, styrofoam. So they make, they make a special kind of structural material for energy-efficient homes called ICF, Insulated Concrete Forms. Okay. And what it basically is, is two sheets of concrete with a hollow space in the middle filled with styrofoam okay. of varying thicknesses. The further north you are, you want thicker with more, more of that styrofoam. And, and if that's not even doing it for you, then you use two, two layers of that or um, just more foam. So if you wanted to build a really toasty, warm home with a, with a concrete foundation, what you could do is once you're done excavating the hole for the foundation, you, you line the ground with several layers of styrofoam first, then you pour your concrete. Then you put another layer of styrofoam before you finish your floor. Right. And now it's going to be toasty. And then the same applies to the walls. In fact, some homes, although this is an expensive way to do it, some homes have gone so far as to say, okay, we're going to use insulated concrete form for the wall of the basement, but then we're not going to stop. We're going to keep going right up the wall of the house. Mm. Um, and that may not be enough to get you that R40 that you want all the way around, um, but it could. And because, because you're not, because you don't have these wooden um, studs at regular intervals across the wall of the house, it's just giant panels that are being uh, put together and sealed so that they don't leak any air or heat you can end up getting away with a little bit of a thinner wall than you would if you were building walls with studs. Because mm -hmm. the studs are what kill you every time. So the only way to get around it is to not let the studs come all the way from the outside to the inside. There has to be a break somewhere. Um, or you just don't use wood studs. You've got to find a way to create a continuous barrier against leakage and heat from escaping. Okay. In a nutshell. Right. There's a hundred ways to do it. Pick okay. one. Right. Okay. Pick the one that works for you, for the money that you want to spend. 
So, so you know, that all sounds great in theory. Um, but then, unfortunately, if you do manage to find a way to build a home that is extraordinarily well insulated and is airtight, because that's the key. You can't have all the insulation if you're still got cracks and holes and shit for the heat to escape. Right. If you've got that insulation that you need and you have that air tightness, unfortunately, now you create a new problem. And it's not one you would expect to have to deal with, but it, it is one that you have to deal with. Now that your house is airtight, any air that's inside your house is stuck there. And now your air is getting dirtier, smellier. Anything that's off-gassing is building inside your house, including radon. And you're not breathing very good air. It, you're not... And the, the thing is, in a normal house, you're always getting fresh air because it leaks. People are always opening and closing doors and windows. Your windows are leaking even when they're closed. Your doors are even leaking when they're closed because they're not perfectly sealed. Um, and while your furnace is running, your furnace is drawing fresh air from the outside and mixing it with return air from your return air ducts. Right. So you are getting fresh air in your house in a, in a, in a non-efficient house. So in, in a really efficient house that is airtight, you actually have to put an air exchanger in your house, which... When you think about it, okay, so now I have to bring a whole shitload of fresh air from outside and send some of my stale air out in its place. Well, there goes all my heat. No, because the air exchanger that you have to buy for that type of a house is actually one that transfers 80% or more to the inside air as it's coming in. So it recovers as much of the heat from the air that's being exhausted as mm. it can okay. and throwing it into the air coming in. Right. So you may lose a little bit of heat, but because they're anywhere from 85 to 94% efficient, depending on how much money you spend, you're actually not losing that much at all. And yet you're getting a completely new house full of air every hour to two hours, mm. which is so good for you. You no longer have to worry about breathing unhealthy gases that are coming off of anything. You no longer have to worry about uh, radon building up in your house. Um, if you're getting like horrible smells from dinner that you're wanting to get rid of right away, they're going to be gone within a few hours automatically. So believe it or not, um, uh, an airtight, energy-efficient house actually has better air inside than a standard house because it's purposely um, re uh, replenishing the air right very very quickly right it's purposeful yeah it's quite passive. it's quite purposeful right okay okay so now that we have an envelope our house is an envelope that is really well insulated and is airtight and we're also exchanging the air on a regular basis. How do you heat such a house? Well, as it turns out, if you follow these techniques and, inc and double or triple the R value of your walls and your windows and your ceilings and your roofs and your basements, some of these homes don't even need a damn furnace. 
And what's interesting about that, because I've been watching so many videos from people who were building them in the mid to southern states, all the way up into Canada and, and Europe even, uh, where they get just as crazy bad winters as we do. People who were looking to build high efficiency homes for their customers could not convince their customers that they did not need a furnace. Right. Well, yeah, of course. Because that would be a hard sell. Right. Yeah. And so they would install one, but they would find the cheapest, lowest BTU, you know what I mean? Like just, okay, here's a furnace, but you know, uh, yeah, call me in a year. Effect. Yeah, call <laughs> me in a year when, when you finally realize that it never comes on, right. except when it's like minus 40 outside. Right. Um, and even then, it's only on for like, you know, five minutes for like an hour for for the next hour to two hours that's that's the kind of phenomenon that people can look forward to with this and in fact they said that um if if the home has been done correctly and you heated your house or got your house to a temperature of 21 degrees celsius and then you turned all of your heat sources off and turned your um air exchangers off so that you weren't losing any heat at all, you would only lose half a degree Celsius per day. Yeah, that's crazy. Isn't it, though? Like, do that with a regular house. It's impossible. It's impossible. Right. But so is that situation, though, to be fair. Like, we just talked about how you have to cycle in new air or things go sideways right. on you. You have to open your door yes. like, to go yes. to the store. So you or... are going to need a heat source, Yeah, but it's nowhere near going to be as much as what you've been used to so far. Right. Yeah, so, so we'll... somewhere in the south, like the southern United States... No furnace required. No furnace at all. Period. But here in Calgary, here, you need a you'll furnace. Need so- well, you'll need something. It might not necessarily need to be a furnace. Sure, okay. Um, there's a home up the street that's built to passive house standard. There's that word I was hoping to introduce. They basically said that if you did it right, if you did it right, you won't need a furnace. You will need some kind of a heat source if you're living in a place that has Arctic weather at any time during the year. But you're going to find that you might be able to get by with a space heater or a space heater on each floor or a fireplace or a fireplace and a space heater at the other end of the house you'll find that your body heat and the heat coming off the things you use in your house may actually end up being enough to keep the temperature stable till it gets to minus 30, minus 40 degrees. And then you need to kind of reinforce it a little bit by turning the fireplace on for an hour. And then you'll find it stays warm for the next six or three or whatever the case may be. I can't heat the, I can't heat my house with this fireplace if I tried. Right. But if this house were built right, I could. And part of the reason I could is helped along by the air exchange system because the air exchange system is ducted through the entire house, pulling all the air from the entire house, pushing it outside while extracting some, most of the heat from it, and then taking fresh air from the outside and pushing it out to the rest of the house. 
So any of the heat that the fireplace is producing yeah, gets is literally getting better. distributed through the whole house, a lot just like it would if it were connected to a furnace. And, and you know, the proof is in the pudding. Um, you'll find that you can put your hand on your interior wall, or, or uh, sorry, an exterior, uh, exterior facing wall, um, and not feel any cold on that wall at all. That's when you know you've done it right. The window, yeah, the window glass will be cool, but it won't be freezing cold. And because it's not freezing cold, you won't get any condensation and ice on it either because it's not cold enough to condense any water out of the air. Another thing that people do as, a, as an alternative to a furnace, they'll use things like a heat pump or a geothermal as a heat source. Okay. Do you know much about geothermal? Mm -hmm. Now, the thing that I never really understand, when I, when I first heard the term geothermal, <laughs> I had in my mind the kind of geothermal that's used to generate electricity, where you've got to dig a hole, you know, 500, 1,000, 1,500, 3,000 feet into the ground till you're reaching, you know, uh, earth that's like, 150 to 200 degrees Celsius, enough to produce steam to turn a turbine to create electricity. Right. Turns out residential geothermal, you don't need to go down that far. Okay. You're just going down till you hit a layer of the ground that is sitting at a temperature that is still much warmer than the outside air, and in the summertime, much cooler than the outside air. So you're looking for somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 to 17 degrees Celsius. Okay. Maybe even a bit less, maybe 14, 14 to 17 degrees Celsius. And if you can push cool air into pipes buried underground and heat that air to 17 degrees Celsius and bring that back up into the house, it's not furnace warm. Right but it's enough to take the chill out of the air so that now you can technically get the rest of your heat from things like you just supplement the sun definitely. yeah or even the sun sure which by the way is another trick that they learn uh, that they learned to do in energy efficient homes um, you have to think about where the sun is and where it isn't so when you're designing an energy efficient home you don't do it like we build houses in north america where you put windows wherever the fuck you want and you make them as big as you want uh, regardless of where they're facing and whether there's any overhangs over them or not in an energy efficient home you strategically place your windows to take advantage of where the sun is going to be especially in the winter sure Okay. So your north-facing walls, you have as little window space as you can get away with. None if you can get away with that. But you don't want homes that are like dungeons. Right. So, you know, you might want to put some smaller windows on the north-facing walls. Um, your east and west-facing walls can afford to have slightly bigger windows. And then your south-facing windows, you want them to be as big as possible but also efficient so that they're not leaking heat like crazy. And you want, you want overhangs over those windows so that when the sun is really high in the sky, the sunshine is not coming through the windows at all. 
because they're be they're shaded in some way. Okay. But as the sun gets lower in the sky in the fall and in the winter, you want the sun coming in through your windows. Right, of course. And then on top of that, you want thermal mass inside your house to soak up that heat while the sun is shining on it. So you want walls and floors closest to the window or facing the window made of clay brick, stone, uh, the kind of cement that's filled with rock as opposed to all that other nonsense that isn't rock. Um, and what ends up happening is the sun that does come in uh, heats up that material yep. very, very slowly, but very, very effectively. And then when the sun disappears around the corner and over the horizon, now that stuff is slowly releasing the heat back into the air through the floor, from the walls or whatever. And if the heating choice that you chose for your energy-efficient home is radiant in-floor heat, well, now you've just created probably the most comfortable home you could possibly imagine because it's, it turns out that we tend to feel warmer in a home even where the air is cooler than it should be if the floor is warm to the touch because we feel the heat in our feet and that makes our it fools our brains into thinking it's warm just like when you get into a car with heated seats you can tolerate the inside of the cabin being cooler until it warms up because your ass is warm right and if your ass is warm your whole core is getting warm too so that you get the same kind of phenomenon in a in a well-designed um, efficient home. So I just hear that you just need ass warmers in your house. Well, I mean, it's not far from the truth. Huh. It's not far from the truth. But you know, if you've got ass warmers and your walls are really well insulated too, everybody's winning. Right. <laughs> right. And and you know and like, so now we get to okay. There's always a but, right? Because okay, so. If, if this was so fantastic and it was like a no-brainer to build homes like this, why aren't we building homes like this? And of course, the answer is pure economics. When a developer goes into a neighborhood to build a bunch of houses, they're looking to maximize what they're going to get from what they put into the house versus what they sell it for. Of course. Now, if you have to make the home with the kind of material it takes to make it energy efficient, you're going to be adding at least 15 to 20% just in materials, not labor, just in materials to the price. Some would argue way more than that, but they're pricing the difference on a one-on-one -on -one basis. And part of the problem is the reason it costs as much as it does to build an efficient home is because there aren't as many people making the stuff it takes to make an energy efficient home because there aren't enough of them getting made. So in the same way that batteries are much cheaper to build for cars now because there's a lot more of them being made and they had to find a way to make them 
cheaper through mass production, the same thing would be true for the energy efficient materials you need to build an energy efficient house. And they proved this, by the way, um, in, of all places, close to home, Okotoks. Oh, yeah, right. You heard about this? Yeah, yeah. So one builder decided, okay, so here's what we're going to do. Um, we're going to take a small section of the development we're about to build in Okotoks. And what we'll do is we'll make the homes, they didn't even make them passive house standard, well insulated. They just made them a bit better than a standard, you know, economy grade home. And, you know, triple pane windows and the whole nine yards, thicker walls, better insulation. That's about it. That's about as, as crazy as they went. So it at most added 10% uh, premium to the cost of building the house. Then they put solar panels on the self-facing roofs of the garages that are all behind the houses, the uh, separate uh, uh, garages. But they didn't install solar panels that produced electricity. They installed solar panels that heated liquid that was coursing through the pipes in the panels. And this liquid, uh, I don't know what it was, glycol or some similar type of substance, is a, a, a liquid that very efficiently transports and holds a tremendous amount of heat. And what they did was they let this liquid flow through these panels on the roofs all summer long, collecting an extraordinary amount of, of heat and storing it underground in a special giant vat that was buried like 50 feet or 70 feet underground. The content of the material in the vat got so hot after being pumped full of heat from the sun all summer long that in the winter, that in the fall, when things started to cool off, they shut the liquid coming from the panels off and turned on the valve, releasing the heat yeah. into the homes right. that were next to the garages and essentially heated the homes for practically free. Just the cost of building the system with no additional heat required for the most part. Sure. They, there may be some supplemental heat available through like a electric radiators or space heating or whatever the case may be. But for the most part, all that heat that was collected all summer long was enough to keep the homes nice and warm all winter long. Helped by the fact that they were built to a slightly higher standard than your average house, hmm. insulation-wise. Do they pump the did they pump the glycol back into the house, like to heat the floors? Or was it like just radiated heat? I'm not sure. No. I'm not sure. They I didn't can't imagine it radiate through. No, I would imagine they probably did it through like a heat pump type of furnace so. system yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. And just through the floors. Or that would through, probably be the easiest. Well, right? the floors would have been the most expensive way to do it because now you've got to run piping through all the floors of the entire house, basement and first floor. Right. So it'd probably be easier to just run some piping into the furnace, just like an air conditioner. Oh, be like just a have reverse a, air and conditioner. And then just have a heat pump. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So, so that's kind of where we are. And, of course, part of the problem is that, you know, our government isn't telling us that this is an option. Our developers aren't offering this much as an option. You, you, have, you have to go out of your way to find a builder that, A, 
knows how to build an energy efficient home and B wants to build an energy efficient home. So, you know, hats off to the builders that actually build energy efficient homes because unfortunately they should all be like that. Right. Do you require special um, training? permits? Well, certainly training, no, oh, yeah. but uh, permits to build a home because there are so many rules to build a house. Yes. And, and the rules are the way we build our houses now with Tyvek, yep. plywood, yep. and then... Two but that's how you do it. By sixes. Yeah. But that's how you do it. And anything outside of it right. could fail inspection because it doesn't meet code. this code. Yes. Right. Now, the good news is energy-efficient homes surpass code. The problem with energy-efficient homes is... If you live in a town or county or city where the inspectors aren't really up on their materials knowledge, they will come across an energy-efficient home as an alien thing. It'll be like, where are the two-by-fours? This isn't made with two-by-fours. Well, what the fuck's it made with? Well, it's made with ICF. What the fuck is that? What is that? I don't know. I don't know what this is. I can't sign off on this. Right. And and a friend of mine said that this is part of the problem. There's such a lack of awareness in the industry at large about what there is, what it can do, the pros and cons of each design approach, each materials approach, and everything else, that it's hard to get an inspector that'll sign off on a well-built energy-efficient house because they're looking at something they've never seen before. So you need to find an inspector that knows energy. I mean, we've got some small pockets of neighborhoods in Calgary that were built to passive house standard. They had to get signed off, but they probably had to find somebody who knew their stuff. And I bet you not every inspector in the city of Calgary, as an example, would know uh, whether an energy-efficient home Gotcha. Should pass inspection or not. It's only from lack of awareness. It, it could even be argued that there are some... Co and codes are, are city-specific, too. That's the worst part. Yeah. Yes. You could build one home in Edmonton that would not pass muster in Calgary and vice versa. Uh, I mean, I and I only came to be aware of this when I started planning to replace my old shitty furnace that came with the house running at 80% efficiency. And I wanted to buy a new high-efficiency furnace because the one we had was starting to die. And, you know, like I had three different um, companies come in and tell me what it was going to cost to replace the furnace. And while you're at it, show me where you will be ducting the, the furnace exhaust because now we can't go up the chimney anymore because of the temperature of the exhaust is so low. There's not enough heat energy in the exhaust to go up a full oh, chimney anymore. It will never make it to the top. It'll just fucking get part way and go, I'm pooped, and just sit there. So you have to vent it out the side of the house, and you've got restrictions to how long that pipe can be and how much slope there can be and the whole nine yards. Um, and then there's how 
far is that furnace exhaust going to be from other things outside on the exterior wall? They can't be within a certain distance of a window. They can't be within a certain distance of the fresh air intake. They can't be within a f certain distance of the fucking, you know, this and that and blah, 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 blah. The neighbor across the fence. Right. And, and, and so on and so forth. And then just like... Um, so where the hell can I vent this thing? And they went, well, you're probably better off, uh, you know, running the pipe all the way out to the back of the house. And I'm like, isn't that going to exceed the distance you're allowed to go? And they're like, oh, probably not. And I go, maybe you should measure just to be sure. And then he measured and he's like, oh, shit, yeah, this is way too far. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, fuck. It's a good thing. You, you're like, I didn't take your word for it. And then, and then, uh, you know, and then it was like, okay, so can we put it here? Uh, yeah, no, I don't think code allows you to put that. And then he calls me up the next day and he goes, good news. There was so many people complaining that the city of Calgary's code was so restrictive that they had nowhere to install the exhaust pipes from high efficiency furnaces in a typical neighborhood because of how close the houses are to each other oh, right. and how short the damn walls are, mm -hmm. you could not be more than so many feet from a pipe or a window or a door or the other person's wall. So they had to relate. They had to relax. Relax the standard, oh, the code. So just when you're thinking the code actually has a secret meaning behind yeah, it, it no, it doesn't. No. It's whatever Joe fucking inspector in charge decided. It should be for right. the city. So, yeah, uh, hopefully uh, that was informative enough. Oh, now, the one thing that I didn't talk about is um, retrofitting. Good, because that's exactly the question I was going to have, because it like sounds all fine and good, Carl, yeah. if I've got a million dollars to, to buy build a my house. house. Right. But I'm the asshole that already bought one. That's right. And So what can you do? What can I do? Well, you start with the windows. Right. And the insulation. So anywhere you can make the envelope less likely to allow heat to pass through it, the better. Are you going to be able to make your home airtight? Not easily. Not easily. But they've already been kind of talking to people about that kind of shit when they say, you know, make sure you've got uh, your doors properly right. sealed with... You know, that's uh, a thing they talk about, now, yeah, which is good. Right, which, which makes sense. Um, but yeah, you start with making sure you've got a decent amount of insulation in the walls you do have. And part of the problem is in a vertical wall, if you're putting in bats of insulation, eventually the bats are going to sag unless they were really well anchored throughout the entire vertical height of the wall. But most builders don't do that kind of shit because they don't have time for that nonsense unless they're really, really conscientious builders. So if you have a house that happened to be built by really good ethical builders, then you probably don't have to worry about that. But a lot of people, what they end up finding is if they ever have to redo a wall of an exterior wall of their house by pulling the drywall off and seeing what's inside the studs, there's like... You know, the insulation has all fallen down halfway to the ground or um, worse, a lot of people were finding that if they were putting in new windows 
or taking the, the drywall off of an entire exterior wall of a house, they would find that the tall uh, Florida ceiling link studs had insulation bats in them. The ones under and above the windows didn't because the builder couldn't be bothered to cut pieces to fit in there. And no one thinks about this because they think window, it's going to be cold. They don't think it's also cold because there's no insulation in my wall under the window. So making sure the wall is actually full of insulation is a, is a, is a start. Um, and if you can't be bothered to pull your well walls apart, what you can do is cheat and have someone who can pump in spray insulation to put little holes at the top of the walls and just spray the shit in between all the studs and just fill every gap of air that's in there. Okay, you've just now probably taken a wall that was R10, R12, R14, and you've probably bumped it up to like R35, which no, it's not R40, but it's as close as you're gonna get without rebuilding your house or putting another wall on the outside. Um, windows. Jesus, I was talking to my neighbor about this today and I couldn't believe the words that came out of his mouth. I told him I was thinking about getting a, a new window put in in my bedroom, south-facing bedroom, because it's freezing goddamn cold in the winter and it gets, it's like a sauna in there in the summer. And um, he goes, yeah, we're thinking of uh, getting all, all windows on the entire main floor. And, uh, and I said, uh, triple, triple pane? argon filled and he's like no and i go why are you even bothering then if your right. windows are mechanically sound you're not going to accomplish anything by just putting in new two pane windows right you got to at least take it to the next level he, w he wasn't even going to do that yeah and i was just like okay well that 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 would have been a total waste of money right so if you can afford or it's time to replace your windows then yeah, you definitely want to go triple pane. They don't have to be aluminum frame. They could be vinyl. Vinyl's fine, so long as they're built to release as little heat as possible. Um, you know, and they're airtight. The frame is airtight, and they're installed. And airtight. the sill is airtight. Yes, that's the fucking yes. problem. Man. It's you the sill. got it. It's always the you sill. You got it, especially in an older home. Yep. It just shit happens, like like with the insulation. Yep. Over time, it just sags. That's right. The sill just fucking falls apart. That's right. It's been and rained on and snowed on and frozen. And if water's getting in, yeah, it's over. Eventually, air's going to get in too because that shit will just start to rot. That's basically what I have in my bedroom. Is that right? Eh? Yeah, yeah. Wow. We rent, so like, what are you going right. to do? Exactly. And you're just like, okay, one day. <laughs> yeah. So you want to bump up the insulation <laughs> as best as you can. You want to get better windows. Um, <clears throat> The, don't forget the, the, the attic. Uh, you want to have as much insulation over over your roof in, in the livable part of the house as over possible. Over your ceiling. Over your ceiling. Yeah. The thing that people, that does, it sounds counterintuitive. You actually want lots of airflow in your attic. Oh, oh yeah. Because A, you don't want heat building up like a sauna up there in the summertime. Because as the bakes onto the roof, it's just going to fry the air inside there. But even in the wintertime, you want the air uh, to be able to circulate um, so that the air doesn't get too humid. Yep. 
uh, and you don't get uh, frost building up in there, which has been appearing in the news recently. People discovering that they've got frost uh, building up in the, in their attics in the winter time, and then it melts in the spring, and starts showing water spots in their ceiling. And I wonder how am I getting water in my attic? Uh, if you are getting your roof shingles redone, do yourself a favor, but find out from a roofing professional how many turtle vents would you put on a roof my size, and if it's a larger number than the number of turtles you've got now then that's how many you want put in the next time your roof gets done to get that extra ventilation it'll make a big difference but yeah if you can if you can make that you know it's like taking off a spring jacket and putting on a parka in its place if you can do that for your existing house and then make it a little bit more airtight including bumping up the quality and the and the insulation value of your windows and then the only other thing you have to worry about is getting that summer sun from shining into your windows. And there's a, there's a number of ways that you can uh, solve that problem. Some of them take years, plant a tree. Others you can fix by putting a little awning over your window or an overhang of some kind, like a pergola or whatever. Um, blackout blinds. Blackout blinds, absolutely. And uh, yeah, that's what you want to do. It is definitely, uh, you can definitely make incremental changes to the house that you've got to make it better. It all depends on really what you want to spend. But you start with the insulation and the windows. Yeah, I would think that the windows would be 100% where you'd start. Because oh, like yeah. I said, the windows itself um, are, the, the biggest. Are, are a huge culprit. Yeah. But like I say, the sills are... Uh, huge are definitely problem. part of it. Yeah. You get a new window, you're going to get a new sill, and they got to tear out a bunch of drywall around it. Yep. And you just get new insulation in there too. Yeah. Like yeah. There's a huge win of doing your windows. And that's what my yeah. guy, who does most of my fixes around my house, uh, told me today. Because we were we got to finally talking about windows because I told him that my next door neighbor uh, got pr uh, windows priced for the north facing side of his two-story house and he was quoted same size grand, uh essentially yeah, yeah but just on two floors and uh he was quoted somewhere in the neighborhood of three grand uh -huh. for triple pane windows just for those four windows and he's going to do it himself and so i went to my guy and i said find out what it would cost to, to put a good quality triple pane window in, in our bedroom just to start with what I was hoping to be able to do for this episode, which I did not end up having enough time to do because it took a long time to even get a hold of these people. But there is a couple that just built a home for themselves at the top end of our neighborhood near Market Mall. And as I was driving past their house every day as it was going up, I was like, holy Jesus, they're building their goddamn house with insulated concrete form. Because that's not regular stud two by four construction they're using there. Turns out that actually, no, they didn't use insulated concrete form. They used something called SIP, which is structural insulated panels. It's kind of like concrete ins insulated concrete form, but different, thinner, mm -hmm. but accomplishes the same thing. And I'm really curious to know the whys and the hows and the how muches and everything else. So I'm actually uh, supposed to be checking a uh, meeting with them and, and getting a tour of their house this weekend. That's cool. 
and I'm going to interview them while I'm talking to them. And then once I've got that uh, edited, I will put a link to it at the in the podcast description. So that if you want to learn even more about an actual person who purposely built a more efficient home for themselves, um, I'll get you as many juicy details about how they did it and why, yeah. and, and how they were able to justify it. It'll be interesting, cost-wise. And you know, what does Carl hope for in the long term? Well, Carl hopes a government finally comes, you know, and says, "Okay, enough." Hope you guys are have had enough of paying ex- exorbitant heating bills in your houses for no good real reason. And let's actually mandate, you know, even if we don't get them to passive house standard, at least let's get them halfway so that our heating bills can be like two-thirds or half of what they are. You know, never mind building houses efficient enough that we don't even need furnaces anymore. Um, You know, and just make them that much nicer to live in. And if all homes were being built to that standard the materials needed to do it would be that much cheaper. Yeah. You know, barring wars and COVIDs and supply chain bullshit, the world being normal, the materials would eventually get cheaper. And we'd find even more innovative ways of making the envelope oh, yeah. more without spending a lot of money. More, yeah. yeah. You would find efficiencies in your in that. Totally. Yep. yep. Totally. By the way, uh, one of the ways that some companies have found to help cut the cost of building airtight, warm envelopes as homes is not to build them on site. Prefab. Build them in a factory where the conditions are perfect and you're not battling the elements. Yeah, And then once the whole thing is built, you just lift it up onto a truck and bring it to the site. Yeah. Plop it down. Or even in pieces. And or whatever. Assemble it. Yeah. And put it yeah. together. Seal it up. Yeah. Done. You can save a small fortune building an energy efficient home that way because it's all being done in a very easy to work in environment with cranes and... All sorts of things. And people who don't have to wear coats. Yes. Right? Like, exactly. And they're not rushing the yeah. job because they're, they're freezing all, their nuts they're, off. They're, they're all working naked. Yeah. I wonder if you could pay extra for that. <laughs> you could, The I dudes guess. that made yeah. this were all hey, If you want to see the film of the making of your modular home. I do. I do. Oh, yeah. Want to see sweaty butt crack. <laughs> Putting up them walls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, were there any other uh, any other little topics you wanted to talk about before we wrap it up? I read... Oh, here we go. Adam. I read 11.22.63 by Stephen King. Ooh. Wonderful. It's wonderful. It was really, really good. Yeah, eh? Yeah, it was not what I expected. It was the newest Stephen King novel I had read before, and it is different than... Uh, his older ones. Okay. Um, I what's, couldn't What's really... it about, kind of, sort of? JFK. Oh, right. Yeah. Stephen King. Yeah. It's, uh, like based on fact or just 
his it's historical alternate fiction, reality. But alternate, oh yeah, it's yeah. definitely alternate oh, reality. Wow. But wow. it's it's really cool. It's really cool. Um, it's slower than any of the other ones I've read, but it's okay. Um, Is it plausible? No. Okay. No. Okay. Not, no, it's about time travel. Oh, Jesus. But it's super cool. Wow. It's really neat. Like, it's not overdone. It's not, like, you know, I, I made... So JFK's assassination is somehow interweaved with time travel. Oh, man. Wow. It's super cool. By Stephen King? Yep. Yeah, and I have seen a number of people who have said it's their favorite Stephen King book. Really? Yeah. And wow. I can see why. It's really very good. I okay. highly recommend it. I'm going to have to check it out. Yeah. Yeah, I highly recommend it. It was a lot of fun. I'm reading a book right now called The Space Between Worlds. Okay. Now, the premise is mind-bogglingly fantastic. Unfortunately, the execution <laughs> is a little bit weak, yeah, yeah. but okay. the premise is beautiful. So, so here's, here's essentially the gist of it. We accidentally discover a way into alternate universes. Okay. And when you visit an alternate universe, things are going to be almost identical, but not quite. Sure. There are going to be subtle differences in another world compared to ours, but you can't visit an alternate universe unless you are no longer living in that other universe. Yeah, we need. Okay. So they had the they could only recruit people who got killed off in most, if not all, of the alternate universes, so that you'd survive once you got there. And of course, you know, they started by finding somebody who managed to get through and back alive, and then they would report, Okay, here are all the people that fucking died in this world and then that world and then that world and then that world, and they would find the commonalities and that's who they would recruit for agents to go on these trips to these alternate worlds. And the reason they were interested in going to the alternate worlds was statistics. They wanted to see what was making that particular alternate world not so great, what factors were leading to bad things happening. And okay, so now that we know that, we won't do that here. Yeah, neat. So, so they were trying to cheat stack by making. The deck. Yeah, they were trying yeah. to stack the deck by making their own world, um, you know, more the lessons learned more from successful. Else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. By doing a lessons learned from all the other alternate universes, and I've only made it halfway through the book, and what what I've what they've kind of like talked about and demonstrated and and shown and learned so far has been pretty interesting, but a little bit long winded. And um, now my imagination is kicking in. I'm going, okay, so what's the catch? What's the catch? What's the catch? Oh, of course. The catch is they're going to discover that we're not the only fucking world that are doing this. And it's going to fucking come back to bite us in the ass. Right. So I'm just waiting now for the, sh the, 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 the you know, I'm hey, just, I'm well, just waiting expensive. for the shit to hit the fan. Right. But there's nothing alluding to that being? Not yet. Right. So, But it's only well, logical exciting. that that's got to be the... Right. That's it's got to be the catch, and if it isn't, then I'll be pleasantly surprised that they or found just an, another thing to throw in there. Yeah, yeah. Or that's just yeah, yeah. 
Cool. Yeah. That's fun. The space between worlds. I decided to start a a really long reading battle. <laughs> uh, battle? Like yeah, a competition it's gonna, with somebody else? No, oh. no. It's a battle just because of how many books. Is that, I would say seven years ago, I attempted to read The Eye of the World by Robert Jordan, which is the first book of The Wheel of Time. Okay. The listeners to this will have known, and you know that, you know, I didn't do well with reading uh, in the past. So I started reading this book, and uh, I only made it about a quarter of the way through. I found it very difficult to follow, because funny, weird names and... Just all the things that are in a fantasy book. And like you do when you read a book, you, you visualize the story as it's happening. Mm-hmm. Right? Like So you see yeah. these guys on their horses and they're traveling yeah. or whatever. And anyway, I got overwhelmed with a book and, and left it. So I had asked my buddy, because everybody talks about the Wheel of Time series. And I said, is this a great series or the greatest series? And he's like, the greatest. The greatest series. Um, and there are 15 books. So I started reading The Eye of the World again, and I knew that my reading comprehension had changed because as I was reading it, the visuals were totally different mm. this time around. Of like, this is obviously a different book because I'm just consuming different it. Different or more vivid? Totally different. different. Wow. Totally wow. different. Nothing was the same. So your imagination has been tweaked. Yes. Yeah. It's been altered yeah. by all this reading you're doing. Yeah. So I'm reading it now, and it's 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 really neat. Um, it's I can see it being very exciting. The first book is, I wouldn't say it's fantastic, mm-hmm. but I'll be reading the second one. Right. Right? It's just like, it, when it there are... You wanting four, more. Yeah, yeah. When there are 14 books, mm-hmm. you know it's just going to keep going and right. going yeah. and going. So, yeah, I'm... 650 pages out of 800 and there's like there's no way they're going to resolve the things that they're talking Mm -hmm. about so I'm like okay here we go yeah so that's the battle the battle is that I have started a 15 book series and all of them are eight nine hundred pages like it's it's big and and what's now the last big series that you read was the foundation series right um, not big because it was only the three books that I right, read. Right, I did read. Big-ish. I did read the uh, Hunger Games series. Okay, I um, already know what you felt about that. Oh God! So, what what's the time. synopsis of this particular series of stories? What's the arc? The arc, or even just from the first book? What's Good it about about the holy man, the. Evil. Oh, is this the one you were talking a little bit about before? That you had a hard time with? Um, I'm not sure. Okay, so tell me more then. Anyway. Maybe I'm just misremembering. That's all right. It's just, it's about, it's about good and evil. Right. And because it's the first book, they're not touching on all the, the real detailed parts of it, but there are... Just setting it up. Yeah. So it's just the wheel of time keeps on turning mm-hmm. things just happen mm-hmm. the wheel of time has its own will and oh, okay it just the history of this world is 
ages old. Right. And implies that it's going to be ages still or only, not. Only the world? It's only focused on Earth? Yeah. It's okay. only, I, I don't even know if it's Earth. Okay. But a planet. A planet. And, um, and evil has shown itself and it's uh, manifesting in these three characters that are from this really small town. And um, unbeknownst to them, hmm. so this, uh, we'll just call her a, a priest for the sake of argument, mm-hmm. and her guardian show up in this town, identify these three guys, and have to get them to like this holy city mm-hmm. before the evil gets them because the evil is after one of these three guys mm-hmm. because when the evil gets them they'll use them as a tool and the evil will be magnificent mm-hmm. so it's their journey of trying to get to to this holy city hmm. so to speak there's so many of them it's like the first book is a chapter mm-hmm. yeah I think I don't know I don't know if it's the same characters in the other books I have no idea, but I imagine because I'm 150 pages away from the end that it sort of has to be. Right. Right? Because there's going to be a lot of It's not going to resolve itself by the end of the book. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. Hmm. So, yeah. And Robert Jordan, the author, he died about nine years ago. Well, I think he was writing the 12th book. So the 12th book is written half by him and half by another author. Hmm. Now, I can't be a hundred percent sure but i think the story is is that the new author was chosen by the fans of the series oh, we want this dude to finish this. to finish the series wow and he very successfully wrote half of 12 13 14 and then zero so there's a prequel book as well and they haven't he hasn't said if he's not going to write anymore or if right. he is so right so anyway hmm. yeah it's so it's your mission deal. to get through them all yeah. And you're on book one. one. Yeah, <laughs> not even quite done one. Which is going to be hard because I have this overarching goal of reading 50 books this year. Right. Which is a book a week. Mm-hmm. And I'm reading about 100 pages a day. I'm not going to make it with eight, 900 pages uh, a book. So well, I I'm mean, have to... you know, as long as you don't stop reading, don't let that goal no dissuade you no no it's it's exciting me yeah i want to get to that goal right so i will get to that goal and if i in between this book and the second book or concurrently to read reading a bunch of it, i'll smaller read books. smaller books in between <laughs> to just and to break and to break things up oh yeah because after a while you're going to kind of want a different kind of story in your head i every book that i've read the next book is so radically different because I'm still at a place that I'm like, I'm not really sure what I like. Right. I just got one other thing to say. Go. Stay strong, Ukraine. Oh, yeah. Stay strong. Thanks for listening to uh, episode eight. Don't even know what episode nine is going to be. We've got a special thing lined up for you coming to episode 10. Yeah. I'll let you know about that when it comes. But yeah, we got something special planned for that one. Thanks for listening. Thank you. This one, that one was definitely the Carl show. And I didn't even talk about 100% of the topics. Yeah. Like that.
Yeah. That's what happens, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh my gosh. But I can, shut I can up. Do, I could do some serious editing into that too.